Mark My Words shares Mark Homer's contrarian views on investing, business, finance, economics, and all things money. Mark interviews the world's most successful business, finance, and money experts, as well as imparting his knowledge in a factual, direct, and no-nonsense manner. Welcome to Mark My Words, and here is your host, Mark Homer. Hello. Hello. Hi. Okay, so what's going on in the kind of property market, economic backdrop, GDP, inflation, all that sort of stuff? Just give me some ideas. Anybody got some themes? Yeah, so Brexit uncertainty. It's every other day in the news, apart from Bitcoin and Ethereum. Has anybody been watching Bitcoin? It's gone absolutely skitty, hasn't it? I've got a mate who's made 10 times his investment. So whatever sort of economic stuff is happening right now? Stress test for buy-to-let, PRA, yeah. yeah. So what's that, 5.5% interest, you know, 125%, 140% rental coverage? Yeah, so, yeah, that's, that's certainly controlled things somewhat. Uh, I know that Nationwide's lending a lot less because of that, but some others, like, I think Lloyd's are the market leader now. Yeah, consumer spending's definitely dropped. Who watched the inflation report the other day, the Bank of England inflation report? I managed to get it on YouTube on my home TV. <laughs> and I had it on for like, it was like an hour and a quarter, and then Gemma came home and sort of was like staring at it, going, what are you watching this for? And uh, I kept pausing it, going, uh, I'm going to have to rewind now, because you just spoke. Because uh, <laughs> you have to really listen to every word. <laughs> yeah, so that's the inflation report. That's quite interesting, you know. Why is the inflation report so good? Where does it, you know, when you see the stuff in, I don't know, the Times, the Telegraph, the Daily Mail, all these places, where does a lot of that come from? That inflation report and what the Bank of England say. And all their, you know, like the MPC, the committee that decide where interest rates are going to be, you know, where they expect them to be over the next two or three years, they're making those judgments based on what they expect economic growth to be, what they expect inflation to be, what they expect consumer spending to be. So it's quite a good looking glass sort of into the future, isn't it? And it's the source rather than, you know, like the hyperbole you read in the newspaper. It's rewritten by a journalist. Do most journalists have your sort of economic understanding right at the core of their objective? Some do. A lot of them just want to sell newspapers, don't they? And don't understand what they're writing about, so therefore you really end up with a lot of nonsense, don't you? So it's good to go right back to the source. So I've been digging into that quite a lot recently, the effect of all these things. So at the moment, we've got very, very low unemployment. It's 40-year low at the moment. You probably don't, yeah, okay, there was a bit of news today. It's gone down again today. But, you know, that's not the first thing they really talk about, is it? Actually, very, very strong employment at the moment. Are wages going up? Yeah, they are. How much are wages going up by per annum at the moment? So it's about 2%, actually. Uh, just over 2%. So what's inflation at the moment? 2.6, 2.7 over the last year. So the differential is half a percent. Yeah? Now, what does the average person earn in England? Well, I put 23 grand in and I multiplied it by 0.5% and it's £115 a year. So they're earning £10 less in real terms than they were last year. The whole time you read the newspaper, what do you always hear about? 
our wages are getting squeezed and yeah they probably are but at the moment it's probably about £10 a month something like that you know when two years ago do you remember how you know, it was all boom wasn't it you know in terms of uh, the economy and everything like that it was probably never that good then so at the moment the world economy is growing really really well okay but we're probably at the bottom of the developed countries in terms of growth if we look at sort of the G7 our growth, we're worse than the EU, worse than sort of the US. Japan even is growing again now, you know, and worse than, definitely worse than China. But we're still probably growing, I don't know, about 2%, something like that every year. So what's happened with the stock market? Pretty good growth, yeah? So about 7% over the last year. The stock market, the FTSE, always looks about one year ahead of where we are now. So it's quite a good indicator of where the markets think the economy is going to be in one year's time. So there's, you know, that's quite a valuable thing to look at. If the FTSE's going down a lot, it probably means that they believe that company profits will be reducing in a year's time. A lot of the initial growth in the FTSE, probably from June 16 to maybe the end of the year, was because uh, currency devalued, didn't it? Sterling got weaker against the dollar and against the euro and all those other currencies. But some of that effect is now sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's come away, hasn't it? But retail spending and business investment is still reduced because obviously sterling and the cost of goods and all that sort of stuff has gone up. So you get sort of less for your money, i.e. that inflation we were talking about earlier, about 2.6. We're probably out of that now and by January, the governor thinks that most consumers and businesses will probably be out of that hit from currency devaluation and that, that inflation thing by January. So we're about six months away from the effect of that devaluation in sterling halfway through last year to fed through into prices and consumers and all that sort of stuff. At the moment, we're just going through that pain, that rebalancing. Okay, so sterling is still really weak and it's just feeding through into sort of weaker spending. So how can we use this information? How can we use this to make money with property specifically? Sell it to offshore investors, yeah. So if you're looking for sort of JV investment or you're looking for people to buy deals, when you're selling your deals to people who are in other countries who have money in other currencies, it's going to look that much cheaper to them, isn't it? So which countries, you know, is UK property going to be looking cheap to at the moment? China. Definitely China, yeah. US, although we get less of those guys over investing here, maybe because they can invest at home. Dubai. Dubai, India, yes. You get loads of those. Yeah, some from Europe as well. There's loads of South Africans still trying to get money out, uh, which is quite good, but obviously their currencies pretty weak, so um, maybe that benefit's not there, but I'm certainly meeting a few South African investors. How else can we use this to our advantage? Because sterling is weak, isn't it? If you look at long-term sort of historical comparisons, 1.3 to the dollar, you know, some people will say that's the right level, but you know, we've been at two to the dollar. How else can we use this to our advantage? Is debt still cheap? Definitely cheapest it's ever been, isn't it? because the bank margins have thinned. How's finance now? It's almost completely back to normal, if not completely back to normal. So funding is really, really cheap. 
So you probably want to be using this time now to get some long-term fixes because it is so cheap. What could you do a five-year fix with buy-to-let at the moment? 3%? 10-year fix? How much is that going to be? 3.9? Are you ever going to get a 10-year fix at 3.9 or a five-year fix at 3% in your life again? Mm. It's pretty unlikely, isn't it, on an investment property? It's likely to reverse, isn't it, and go the other way now over time. So I think you wouldn't be getting these rates if Brexit hadn't happened or, or you know, the, the Brexit vote hadn't happened because what's happening in America now already or has been? Interest, interest rates, where are they now? One and a half percent. So they've already had a few rises in America. I suspect we would have been shortly behind if we hadn't had all this sort of Brexit uncertainty and issues around leaving the EU. What is it that creates this? Is it the sort of actual leaving or is it just the not knowing? It's the uncertainty. What in, in most of the credit crunch all took place in 08 and 09. By 2010 and 2011, were people, had they got more money in their pocket or less than in 2008? They definitely got more. There'd been a lot of deflation, prices had reduced, but the reason they weren't spending was because it was so uncertain and they were worried about losing their job next year. So if people think they're going to be richer next year, what are they likely to do this year? Spend more money. So that's all that's happening at the moment. Okay, so 2.9% over the last year, something like that, nationwide thing. Right move, right move's always a bit more aggressive, isn't it, than the rest of the price indices. Why is that? Because they're selling properties. They're like the estate agent, aren't they? So you know, the estate agent never tells you the market's falling, does he? So they think sales agreed numbers are just almost as strong in 17 as they are in 16. But they reckon there's even less supply coming onto the market. So it's sort of reduced supply, which is quite interesting, really, because you'd imagine that maybe there would be more supply, wouldn't you? Because people are uncertain, they're getting rid of stock, they're maybe tightening their belts. but. Not necessarily the case. Why is there such a small amount of supply coming on? New properties coming on. People don't want to downsize and pay all the transaction costs. Why else? Interest rates. If you're in a property, I mean, residential rates now, you know, you can get a five-year fix at 2%. You can get a tracker at just over one. I mean, it's just bonkers cheap, isn't it? It's cheaper just to stay put than it is to go and move because moving costs can be massive. Uh, the transaction costs and all the rest of it. So how do we turn all this, how can you use all this with your sort of property buying business? How can you turn this to your advantage? Use the bank's money as much as possible because interest is so cheap. Panicked into selling them cheaper. So obviously lots of vendors are sort of nervous or might be more nervous about what's going to happen next year. So more of them are, you might be able to plant some of those seeds to sort of move the deal along a little bit, for sure. I think we're definitely now, versus a year or two ago, we're definitely more in a buying zone, aren't we? More of a buying sweet spot. Definitely with sort of development deals and other stuff like that. Yeah, the finance is there, but the developers are a little bit less certain about what the house prices are gonna be in a year or two's time. So is that making them more cautious? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so 2013 was when all the new instructions, you know, when, when that increased quite a lot, 
Why was that? It was mostly because people felt like the property market was speeding up, prices were going up, so they thought, oh, it's a good time to sell my house, so they put, put them on the market. So it drives more supply, it drives more people to put them on, but it also you know, means there's more buyers as well. So at the moment, there's less of both, less buyers, less supply. So the market is just getting all gummed up again, a little bit like, I don't know, 2010, 2011. Although we've got more growth, haven't we? Prices are actually still moving on. What's happening to rents? <laughs> rents are going up. So we've had a lot of changes, haven't we? So we've had mortgage interest relief for higher rate taxpayers is you can't offset it all. Maybe some of you can offset half of it. Maybe some of you can offset all of it. It's a bit of a if you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. complicated equation but there's definitely some big change there. Stamp duty's gone up and there's a couple of other reliefs that they've removed as well. So what does that mean for buy to let? Costs are higher, less people are buying. How many less landlords this year in percentage terms are buying versus last year? 80? Probably a bit high. It's reduced significantly, certainly around here. There are a lot less landlords buying. It's really significant. You know, it's more difficult to say get by to let mortgages and it's more difficult in people's minds they think they're going to pay a load more tax. It's not necessarily the case, is it? Because they could buy in a limited company. Yeah, they're going to pay extra stamp duty, but that might be three grand or, you know, they just price it into the deal. So as in 2009, 10, 11, or 2008, 9 and 10, values fell off a cliff then. When something like that happens, what's the other side of the equation? What has to react what has to change to then bring everything back to equilibrium? Rents have to change, don't they? And usually, when prices back off, or there's something like this, where there's less supply coming on, rents start going up. There are less properties available. Around here, I think rental price growth has been 35% on single lets in one year. So a year ago, we were getting 550 on a three bed, and today they're about 750, 775. That's in one year. It's bonkers. We own a letting agency, so we have several hundred properties, which I just know when they're coming on, they're renting. I know what they're sort of renting for. And then in the last sort of three months, I've been watching Rightmove, watching the prices they've been coming on at. Some have been coming on at 800. These are like the little council houses you see on the wall. And then obviously I've been cross-referencing with the letting agency, finding out what they've actually been getting. And they're getting a bit less than that. They're probably getting 750, 775 for that sort of stuff. 10 years ago, the rents on those were probably 
4.50. So they went from 4.50 to 5.50 in about eight or nine years, and they went from 5.50 to 7.50 in one year. It's bonkers, isn't it? And I suspect there'll be more of this feeding through. I don't think this is happening in London. It's weird, isn't it? Really, really strange. What about rooms? What about rental price growth with rooms over the last year? Around here, I don't think rooms have gone up a penny in the last year. I mean, I do a lot of rooms. I do really high-end rooms, and we can get 550, 575, 600 quid on a room, which is pretty awesome. But I don't, I'm not sure they've really gone up at all. Anyway, that's what's been happening. So how do you, how can that be good, and how can we kind of twist the set of our sale to take advantage? Build a unique product that other people don't have. Very high-end rooms. Serviced accommodation. We've been running a trial in town. We're doing really, really well out of an apartment we've got running there. Probably getting, we're probably getting net, net, net to 2.5 times what we would get as a single let flat, which is very, very good. Just running it at £60 a night and charging for the cleaning on top. So obviously, lots of you are doing that already. Very area dependent. I've done it in other areas of the town. It's not really worked, but our stuff right in the middle of the city centre. It's basically competing with the hotel the next door. You just price it 10 quid less and they get an apartment. That's working really well. How else can you take advantage of this stuff, these changes, these structural changes? So what's happened to yields as the rents go up? They're increasing. So if you look at these areas where the rental growth is happening, it's still happening around here. I don't know how far it's going to go. I mean, someone said to me a couple of days ago, but how are these people going to afford it? And I'm like, well, I've no idea. But conversely, why was it they went up 100 quid in eight years? You know, surely how could the landlords afford that, you know, before? Do you see what I mean? So this is what tends to happen. It's like a seesaw, isn't it? Where you get nothing, 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 bang. And often when values are going up, rents are the same or maybe slightly negative. And often when rents are sort of falling, values are going up, it, it tends to be in opposition to each other. Yeah? There's an inverse relationship between the two, often. So if you look at areas where the big rental growth is and where it's likely to come, your yields are much higher. So how does that help you with these sort of new buy-to-let PRA rules, you know, with your rent stress? Because the yields are increasing, it means you more likely you're able to get to the 75% loan to value and borrow all the money back, get the money back from the deal. How else can you use it? What's happening in terms of immigration? In reality, not what the Daily Mail says. <laughs> it's still going, isn't it? It's slowed a bit. In the minds of sort of maybe some of the Polish workers, you know, and builders, maybe there's less of those coming. But net migration is still relatively strong. You know, there's still going to be lots of people needing these properties. What's happening with the government and their building boom? <laughs> they were going to build all these houses. They told us last year. Didn't you see the white paper? And there was the, the green paper the year before and the purple paper the year before that. <laughs> Help to buy has been very, very good for developers. Most of these developer sales are being pushed through Help to Buy. You know, if I'm developing flats, that's how I'd like to sell them. They've put that under review now. So, help to buy has been reviewed. Why is that? Can't afford it. What do you think they're realising? It's funding developers. Well, yeah, definitely. What do you think happens in terms of the buyers? They're paying lots of money for these flats, aren't they? So, they probably pay the new build premium, which is 15%, but then they probably pay another 
5 or 10 because it's helped to buy. So they're probably paying 25% more for the flat than they would have done if they could have just gone and bought a 15, 20-year-old flat. What's going to happen to the value of those two flats in 10 years? They're just going to come together, aren't they? They're going to be worth the same. So they've sort of put it under review. I suspect these building booms that they've spoken about, they're not going to happen. So, you know, housing supply, I think they'll continue to build them at current, sort of current rates, but if the mess were helped to buy, like they suggested they were going to do a week ago, did you see what happened to the house builder shares a week ago? They went off a cliff for about 20 minutes until there was a hurried government statement saying, oh, well, we're only reviewing it, we're not ending it. So uncertainty, isn't there? There's complete political sort of non-direction, you know, there's no direction, there's, there, there seems to be little leadership, so that's just feeding all this uncertainty. Things are so fickle, aren't they? Do you remember at the beginning of the year, she was like the best thing since sliced bread, and then all of a sudden, oh, she's lost. I mean, I'm not sure she ever did lose, but yeah, she hasn't got a, her own majority, she's got a manufactured one. But are we going to have another general election now? I think it's quite unlikely, isn't it? I think she sort of realises that she's on a knife edge, so um, it's going to be very unlikely that she calls another one. What could happen is she gets replaced within her own party, and if that happens, then you've got another four years, haven't you? So I think that's more likely, but Jeremy Corbyn was also rather unpopular six, 12 months ago until he went to Glastonbury and told all the students that he was going to get fees sort of forgotten about, and it was sort of hadn't worked out, or Diane Abbott did the numbers, didn't she? <laughs> worked out that didn't realise it was going to cost 50 billion and now they're not going to do it. So um, there might be some challenges in some of their ideas. <laughs> or maybe they're not even going to do them. So how else can we sort of use this stuff? How else can we use the current environment to benefit our, our property businesses? What's happening to commercial values at the moment? They are increasing. Industrial is going up loads. Why is that? Warehouses? There are loads of online and all that sort of stuff. Yeah? What sort of spaces are becoming emptier? Retail? What else? Offices? Yeah, some, but a lot of the offices have sort of gone, haven't they, for development? Pubs and nightclubs, definitely. Why are they so good? Because loads of them are empty. They're dark, which is a bad thing. But if you can work out how to get light into the middle with atriums and sort of light wells and cut holes in them and all this sort of thing, you can get something extremely cheap for conversion to residential. So what do you need to do for that stuff? Do you need planning permission? Usually for, for nightclubs. So you need a really good planning consultant in your area, definitely, and get them to start approaching the council, doing pre-apps on those kind of buildings to see if you can convert them. Yeah? What permitted development rights are available versus ones that are coming shortly? Offices? Yeah. Light industrial is up to 500 square metres, about 5,000 square foot, so you might get eight, ten flats from that. Farm buildings, yeah, not many have been converted, but barns and stuff like that, and actually it's just been extended to other farm buildings as well. That's probably one of the biggest ones, the farm buildings and the barns and all that sort of stuff. As long as it's not listed, you can take it and convert it under permitted development without planning permission into houses. What other permitted development rights are there that are sort of very here and now? Retail, you can do up to 150 square metres. I think it's two dwellings. B8 storage and distribution is 500 square metres. 
so about eight to ten. Banks, I think they're A2. I think they're financial. They're not permitted development. Stuff like that, perfect as, as a load of HMOs. So split them into flats of six. You can often get planning permission for, say, two or three bed flats and then convert them later into six bedroom flats under permitted development. So they can be a great thing. There are a lot of banks. Yeah, very good. No permitted development rights for HMOs in Wales, though. What other sort of commercial stuff is unloved at the moment? Not really working, convert. Care homes, yeah, quite a few of those that are empty. You have to get planning. Post offices, you need planning for those. Big dark areas in the middle. But yeah, there are, the odd post office comes up. I think a lot of it is just these nightclubs and drinking establishments. There's still loads of pubs, aren't there? There's that terminal decline in pubs has just gone on and on and on. That's still rolling. Casinos, there are less of those, aren't there? I wonder why that is. Is it on, maybe because it's gone online? Police stations, definitely. I've done one of those. Well, it became an office and then it became flats that I did. Turned the cells into a few apartments. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it was permitted development, though, because it had been an office in 2013. Churches, yeah, one of those went in town. Churches can be quite good. A lot less people going to church. The, the, <laughs> there are. Yeah, barns. Barns are permitted development, as long as they're not listed. So barns are great. Yeah, really good. But they're going to be sort of village-based, aren't they? So maybe good as flips rather than, you know, you probably develop it and then maybe sell them. I'm not so keen on buying stuff and renting out in villages. I don't know everyone else's experience, but probably not so good. Barclays are doing a 10-year fix on residential. 10-year fix at 2.3. That's rather cheap, isn't it? 10-year fix at 2.3. Do you think it, if you need to access some JV funds or, you know, some funds for, for investment, is that potentially a good place? Your own home's got to be good. Definitely very, very cheap, and it's, that's going to protect you against interest rate rises. Anyone see my article on sort of buying a house, a bigger house, recently? How to get around the stamp duty issues? So if you, a lot of these sort of bigger buildings that are, maybe they're commercial or maybe they're a house that's just not had much done to it. If it's been empty for two years or more, the conversion works can be billed at 5% VAT instead of 20% VAT. But like, you know, when you're converting a commercial building into residential, it's 5% VAT, not 20. A little bit like if you're making a house into a HMO, the conversion works are 5%, not 20. It's the same with an empty house that's been empty for two years. So if you can find something that's not had any work done to it, or, or it's in a dilapidated state, A, you're going to get it a hell of a lot cheaper, because obviously there's all the refurb works to do. B, you'll save 15% on the VAT converting it. And because the purchase price was so much lower, you're going to save all that stamp duty. But you're still going to add the value and have something really nice, but not pay the extra stamp duty on it. So that's a, a strategy that I've employed recently. I did it with my own home and, you know, saved bag loads of stamp duty doing that and then just paid 15% on most of the building works, which is quite good. Sorry, 5%, saved 15%, paid 5% VAT. So that's a good one. If you're building a new build, there's usually no VAT on that. So the builder will usually just bill you with zero VAT. What other kind of buildings can we do this with? Loads of hotels are having challenges from where? Airbnb and service accommodation. There's a Premier Inn. 
some of you may have used it. Did you see the extension that went on the side yeah. uh, a little while ago? They told us that was just because of us. They put that extension on because yeah. that was full all the time. Those kind of Premier Inns now are, you know, getting really eaten away at by all these little Airbnb or Booking.com flats because people are doing them cheaper, servicing the market with that. So there are quite a few hotels that are coming empty or coming up for sale, for sure. <laughs> what are a lot of people doing with those hotels? I know some people that are just doing Airbnb with them and turning them into service departments, yeah. yeah. Flats, potentially. Care homes, they're doing a bit of that around here. And one of the huge advantage of buying hotels and retail and converting it like that and all this sort of stuff, what, what is a huge advantage? Yeah, services are usually there and usually there's enough. The capital allowances on them are massive. Hotels is probably more than offices. I mean, capital allowances on a hotel could be 30% of the purchase price. So let's say you have, um, I don't know, a hotel, let's say it's cost you half a million. Obviously, this is in round terms. You know, a guy has to come and have a look at all the plant and machinery and find all the air conditioning and find the lights and find the switches and all that sort of stuff. In round terms, you could look at a, a potential saving of that sort of stuff if it was 30% on a hotel or offices, often about 20%. On a half a million pound purchase, 30% is £150,000 in capital allowances that could be offset potentially at 40, 45%. So that could be a 50 grand tax saving. Quite a lot of money, isn't it? Do you get anything on the conversion works? You do. Just on the communal areas between the flats or between all of the residential, there are communal areas and the car park and all the plant and machinery items. Yeah. So. Buying commercial and converting it, there's some quite big tax advantages as well as the VAT, as well as the capital allowances and the, the value uplift. You know, when you add all that stuff together, it suddenly becomes quite nice, doesn't it? Okay, so tax changes are continuing to push rents north, still going up in the Midlands. They're probably still, uh, you know, what's happening in sort of the northeast to rents? Oh, that's quite a big area, or the northwest. Rents are going up quite a lot, yeah. What tends to happen is all the growth started in 2010. Where did it start? <coughs> but where? It's probably Mayfair, isn't it? It's the middle of the Monopoly board. So Mayfair's probably where it starts with, I don't know, Kensington, Chelsea, Knightsbridge, Belgravia. All that stuff is where the cycle starts usually. And then it piles ahead. And then it, what happens? It ripples, doesn't it? and it ripples out to the rest of the country. So what you're seeing now in terms of rental growth and to an extent price growth in the Midlands and in the North is we're at the back of this roller coaster, aren't we? And we're still going up this hill. London's already gone over the hill and it's a few years ahead, isn't it? But the back of the roller coaster is still sort of going up. So you'll probably continue to see those rent rises for a little while. Where do you think we are in this cycle? Because it's quite important, the cycle, isn't it? The economic cycle. We're probably just past the middle now. Yeah, I would have thought. Probably about seven years into this, aren't we? New cycle maybe started in 2010, do we think? About seven years in. How long did the last one last? Well, it went from about 93 to 2007. So it was about 14 years end to end. I'm not saying this one's 14 years, because the one before was about 10 years, and the one before that was about eight years. Exactly when that's going to be um, is very difficult. Well, there was a correction last year, wasn't there? 
it was June 2016. Does everyone remember? It was like a one-month correction, wasn't it? Uh, and then everyone sort of forgot about it, and then, then the stock market went up 20% or whatever. I just don't think they're interested at the moment in sort of listening to this sort of stuff. She's backtracked a couple of times with stuff, Theresa May has. Do you remember all this dementia tax? And then there was, do you remember the national insurance? Now, I know they were her ideas and she backtracked pretty quick, but I suspect she's not in, uh, or any of them are in the, the mood for having another, you know, an onslaught for sort of backtracking. Although they could blame it all on George Osborne. They don't seem to do that too much, do they? They'll blame it on the previous Labour government. Yeah, Ian Duncan Smith's written this stuff on the tax changes. This pressure's going to continue to build. There will be less and less landlords buying. Rents will continue to go up. At some point, I suspect that it will just become untenable, you know, if there's a three-bed in Peterborough and it's, you know, in these kind of ex-council areas and they're, you know, they're at 900 or or £1,000 a month. It will just get to the level where, I don't know where that is, where people cannot afford to do it. What will start happening is there'll be pressure coming from, from where? Who will start shouting about rents most? Shelter. Shelter will start squealing about rents. And the first thing that's going to say is all the landlords are all going to say, told you so, it's because of X, Y, and Z. And someone, somewhere, is going to have to accept it at some point. But they won't want to backtrack, and they won't want to say we're reversing it. They'll go, oh, we've got this new landlord's relief. It's called the, uh, the Myras, or some, some new... Uh, we, we're, we're just doing it for the poorer ones, do you know what I mean? And they'll say this, this, that, that, that. It'll be a nonsense, but uh, the effect will be, probably, that it goes back to something better and something a lot easier. But like they said, that this change was only going to affect a small number of landlords, but it actually affects like nearly all of them. I guess they're going to do the same thing in reverse, but who knows when they'll, they'll see sense. By then, we'll all be in limited companies, I presume. And I don't know if they're going to do it in a limited company. I've no idea. Lots of people think they are, but I suspect they're on to other stuff at the moment. Stamp duty, though, there's definitely more pressure, I'd say, building on that with more expensive homes because there's loads of old people retiring, wanting to downsize now, and they can't, and they won't. So there are these bigger, underutilised properties that people they can't afford to move. So that's not very efficient for you know, the, the housing market. Lots of people haven't got anywhere to live. You know, they'd much rather utilise those by, you know, putting larger families into them. Um, so eventually that'll probably build even more than the renters. So help to buy is on to 2020. That's house building and that's driving a lot of new house purchases. That's what's keeping that going. Uh, but there's going to be a review. I suspect in the review they may control the prices that developers can sell these units at you know, make it more like, you know, they have to sell help to buy ones at a similar rate to what somebody who hasn't got help to buy mortgage is getting. And then I suspect there'll probably be a little bit more growth when the sort of future planning reforms go through. Some of this white paper stuff is due to come through and it will be implemented and I suspect there'll be some more growth then. What about HMO licensing? It's sort of gone quiet, hasn't it? Remember it was supposed to happen in October? where almost all HMOs will be licensed. I suspect it will happen, but it seems to have been delayed again. So that doesn't seem to be going anywhere at the moment. We got a selective licensing scheme. Let's say they introduced it a year ago. Wayne, who owns the letting, he's my business partner, who owns and runs the letting agency. He was up all night, filling all these application forms in, all the rest of it for a long period of time. 
in one year, he's done several hundred properties. I don't know, let's say he's done 300, had to put them through the selective licensing system. They have inspected two. <laughs> and they've got three people in the department to do all the properties in Peterborough. I spoke to someone the other day, and apparently, even without all the travel time and filling in the paperwork and all this sort of stuff, it's going to take them seven years just to get around that initial batch. So, okay, so we're pretty much... Oh, yeah, the inflation report. I haven't done that yet. January, the pressure should subside. There's loads of these sort of spending decisions that are being deferred and delayed. Do you remember we got that sort of pressure cooker pop? 2011, 12, where decisions have been delayed two or three years, and there was double bubble, wasn't there? Especially in the property market and in the economy. I suspect that may start to happen when there's more certainty, because all the decisions that weren't made, suddenly companies and consumers will, you know, they'll they'll make twice as many decisions and purchase decisions and investment decisions. So you probably will see a bit of a rush when the certainty comes back. Another interesting thing, you know they're talking all the time about these car loans and consumer credits skyrocketing and it's out of control and all this sort of stuff. Listen to the inflation report. The number of consumers that have taken out loans that are more than 40% of their income is at 1.25%. In 2012, it was 2.5%. So actually, it's much, much better than it was sort of four or five years ago. Banks are almost fully repaired now and you know it's taken a hell of a long time. So that, that's probably not as big an issue as the papers are liking to, to suggest. Why are they suggesting it's, it's a huge issue? And you know it's going to create another bust. Sell newspapers but it, it's a sort of reminder isn't it of what happened in 2007, 2008 and people will sort of believe it but it, I don't think it's necessarily the reality. I suspect there's a load of these car loans that are going to go wrong and for the companies that have doled these loans out, especially, you know, contract hires. Anyone listen to my podcast on contract hire? Contract hire cars since 2010 have been so cheap because they're all predicated on the, the used values staying high. The second-hand values of cars are really high, so therefore they let you pay a very low monthly payment. You just hire the thing. You know, and they take all the risk. At some point, those used values are going to go bang. They're going to have huge losses. So they're too cheap. So it's quite a good thing to do. You know, if you're contract hiring, get your LLP set up, put all the costs through that for your property business or, you know, for your mentoring business or whatever it is you're running. That's still very, very cheap. Uh, PCP is quite cheap as well. Um, so I suspect we're probably just a little bit beyond mid-cycle. So first, interest rate rise. Looks like it's going to be about mid-2018. At the moment, that's the central prediction. And then gradual and limited extent of rises, perhaps 0.75% increase over three years. That's the, what the yield curve is showing at the moment. That's the market prediction. And, uh, but remember, US is now at 1.25. Well, it depends which rate you look at. It's 1.5. I think there's a Fed funds rate and there's another rate. So they're probably about 1% ahead of us. And that, that's maybe where we would be if we weren't in Brexit land. Thank you very much. <laughs>